Welcome to the Mostly Legal Podcast. Today we interview Alex Sue, social media influencer whose content has reached millions of views across multiple platforms. He's also the head of community development at Ironclad. We're going to touch on topics such as how law firms can use social media more effectively, how they can retain top associate talent, and we'll talk about some alternative paths for lawyers outside of private practice. I'm Amanda Copeless. I'm the executive director for a mid-sized law firm in Central Florida. And I'm Rob Joyner, Chief Revenue Officer at Centerbase, a billing accounting platform built specifically for mid-sized law firms. Let's jump in and get started. We are joined by Alex Sue, who is a reformed litigator who left private practice and went into legal technology sales. And we're going to dive into that in just a few minutes. But really, the first most important question I have, and I have to preface this by saying that a lot of our listeners are old, like me, and we we hear of all these newfangled things, but we don't know. So what is the question? Here it is. What is TikTok? So TikTok is a short form video platform, uh, not unlike YouTube, except the videos are a lot shorter and people usually use it on their phones. So, so a lot of people go on TikTok to record themselves, but some of us, uh, like myself, we go in there to... Uh, record mini skits, short form skits, um, maybe paired up with some popular music or or we can record our own voices. But I've been making skits related to the legal industry, uh, funny skits, I'd like to think, uh, for probably the past, uh, you know, maybe 13 or 14 months. And you've had some success doing that because I found you and I can't even remember I was, I have a TikTok account. I have one video that they required me to post and I follow my 11 year old daughter and about 20 people who give Microsoft Excel tips and then four attorneys. So you really, (laughs) you really should feel privileged that you're in there with my Excel tip people. Um, But I did not realize that, that really a lot of TikTok have sound on them. And so I had been watching yours for a while and then Rob goes, did you listen to that one he posted? And I, I said, I didn't really realize there was sound. And because again, that's an old people thing. Like we don't listen to it with sound. And I turned it up and I'm like, oh, okay. He's, he's got like really good music. I've, on I've listened to that one about 20 times over and over again, <laughs> laughing Let's not harder say each time. <laughs> it has to do with family law. <laughs> right. But you, you really, you spend a lot of time trolling big law and you put a funny spin on life in law firms. And for those of us who live it, we really relate to it. And before I let you go, I will promise that I will not speak the whole time. But I wanted to say my favorite one, and you've told me it's your most popular, is the paralegal one. Do you, can you describe it for us? Yeah, that was my first video that went viral. And it's a skit where a first-year associate disrespects a paralegal. And, and then it cuts to uh, a series of other people at the firm, like the partner, the client, even I think the judge, where they're all shocked. As I'm talking through the skit with you, uh, Amanda, like I realize that when you break it down like that, it's not quite as funny. But when, you, <laughs> when you pair it with like the music um, and the music, it was, a, it was a song by The Weeknd called yeah. Blinding Lights. Yeah. And there's a part where it goes, ooh, and then, the, and then yeah. that part is, was, was lip synced. So, so I think that um, that one was very popular with anyone who's worked at a law firm because we all know that sometimes some young lawyers do not understand how important 
their paralegal and, and staff are uh, at the firm. Right. Well, I think, yeah, young lawyers and then other lawyers sometimes too don't realize that a lot of paralegals I have worked with know more about law than a lot of the younger and then even our kind of mid-level attorneys. And so it just, you know, really resonated with me. And I think a lot of our people that are in the same type of position would laugh too, because, you know, the the first year lawyer says, if I want your advice, I will ask for it. And like you described, everybody was like, oh, I cannot believe he just talked to the paralegal like that. But yeah. you have you have a, a facial expressions, right? Do you have a like was comedy a thing you did in high school or college or? It really wasn't. And I think that it, it took until like the age of you know 37 when I first got on TikTok, you know, a year ago to realize that that I, I was able to, to do things that people <laughs> find funny. And I should probably also say. Not everyone thinks they're funny. Uh, when I talk to my wife, about, when I show my wife the TikTok, she you know, she always says to me, she's like, "Do people find this funny?" Like, <laughs> you know, this goes to why I always make fun of the law firms because for those of us who have worked at law firms or yeah. worked around law firms, a lot of this stuff is relatable. But if you're uh -huh. outside of that world, you're kind of confused by it. You know, it's not really, uh, it's probably not as funny to you. So, so I've never done any any type of humor, although I would like to think that I was I'm, I'm funny among my friends. But uh, this is this has been a completely new experience for me. I always tell people I'm the funniest person I know. So <laughs> you laugh a lot at your jokes too. I laugh at my own jokes just to make sure that other people are laughing also. Uh, sometimes that's the best part. Alex, how do you come up with all the ideas for your your content? You know, in the beginning, it was simple. It was all from my own career. And you'd be yeah. surprised or maybe not surprised to hear that my experiences working at a law firm from like eight or nine years ago are still relatable and relevant mm -hmm. today. I guess not Absolutely. much has changed. <laughs> um, but over time, you know, you start running out of ideas from your own life. And so uh, part of what I started doing was I, uh, you know, at the time I was a legal tech salesman. And so I would talk to corporate legal departments for product demos, you know, you know, I'm sure Rob, you're very familiar with this, this type of work, but you yeah. talk to people and you start asking a lot of questions. They start telling you a lot of things often unrelated to technology, like the frustrations they have or the things that are happening at work. And so I started hearing some themes and I started taking um, some of the common ones, especially ones that uh, there where there's an underlying frustration or something that most people don't know about. And I started turning them into little skits. And so they became popular, not necessarily because, you know, I'm, I'm super funny, but because people would watch it and say, <laughs> oh, I relate to that. That's so, that's so true. And so that truth, underlying truth um, that I got to by being a salesperson, by talking to so many people, helped me generate more content ideas. Well, please Alex, tell some your of it's wife, the facial wait, expressions. me first, me first. Oh, it's no. facial expressions. Yeah. You've talked a lot. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Please tell your wife that one time there was a group of us law firm managers sitting in a bar, <laughs> scrolling through your TikTok, <laughs> laughing hysterically. So you do have an audience that I want you to know. Some I love of us that. really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. That, ma that really makes my day. <laughs> Maybe you should come to ALA and, and do a stand-up skit, you know, one night charge for it. That'd be, pretty, <laughs> that'd be pretty cool. So when people meet me, they, you know, I think, people who know me through my, my, my TikToks and my, my content online, I think there's this reaction like, oh, you're pretty like low key understated. I am not super funny in person, I don't think. <laughs> I'm a little bit shy when I meet new people sometimes. Yeah. Although, um, you know, when people come up to me, they say, hey, say something funny, do, do a joke. And I get really <laughs> nervous. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. I don't know what to say. 
So I think that this digital format um, is really suited to me because I have time to think about what I'm trying to say. Uh, and, 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 and I'm just not, you know, I'm just not able to just kind of whip up something funny at, at the moment. I, I think it's great. Uh, okay. Last thing I'll ask you about this. Yeah. You have this play phone that you use in a lot of them. It's like a Fisher Price phone. And it's the one I used to use when I was a kid. He's looking for it. No. Yes. <laughs> right here, right here. It is my favorite because again, unless people are my age, they don't understand what that circle rotating thing is, right? Like yeah. I bet Rob has never even used a rotary phone. I have. You have? When you I were have. like four, five? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Young kids. Okay. So um, last question. I know I keep saying this last question, but one of the things, and this is going to transition. I know I am. I'm sorry. You're like famous. If 2 million people watched anything I did, I would be super impressed. (laughs) Even if like we have a thousand. You'd be asking about your hair and all this stuff. Did it look okay? I'm already, listen, let me tell you how many people had to advise on whether I looked okay this morning. Okay. Uh, (laughs) There's only so much you can do. All right. You identified previously that big law, and I'll define big law as firms that usually have 300 plus attorneys, 200 plus attorneys, and have multiple locations, right? When we say big law, that's what we're talking about. They seem to be fodder, right? And they seem to be something that you get a lot of content produced out of. Have you ever had anybody from big law come back at you and say, that's not fair. Like, wait a minute, you're trolling us too hard or anything along those lines. You know, on the TikToks, I haven't. Um, and that's been surprising. I have a few theories why. But I, as you both know, I put out a lot of content making fun of or criticizing Big Law across different platforms. And I have gotten messages, although um, the most memorable one was one partner who, who went through a, a mutual friend. So, so somebody literally DM'd me and said, Hey, you know, why are you alienating us partners uh, in this way? <laughs> and the, the, the person who was writing a message was saying something along the lines of, if you want change in the profession, you can't alienate us. You know, we're an ally too, which I thought was funny because this quote unquote ally of, of ours, of, uh, you know, of reform, this partner couldn't muster up the courage to directly tell me. You have to go through a friend. <laughs> and, and I spent a lot of time thinking about that exchange because I think that maybe sometimes Big Law is a little bit scared because not because I have a, a huge platform, but because they see the comments, mm-hmm. they see that people within their own firms are laughing and agreeing and saying things. And so I haven't gotten a ton of direct feedback from them, probably also because they're not on TikTok. But I will say <laughs> that um, I've been surprised at how many people within large firms, I've, I've even had partners reach out to me and say, you're totally on point, we're trying to change. So so I think the message is getting through, um, but it's not because of me. It's also because of the community that's come around in the comments, uh, people who work in, within these firms. Some of the issues that you touch on that hit home with uh, these partners most likely is the burnout that young associates feel in the, the work-life balance. I'm going to put that in air quotes, the burnout and some of the barriers to entry that associates are finding to succeed in big law. So can you talk a little bit about some of your thoughts around those areas? Yeah, I um, I think all of us who have worked at firms realize that it's a lot of work. For a lot of different reasons, these days, associates at big firms feel like it's worse than ever. And I think they've got a point because, you know, when I was in big law, 
you know, I didn't have the luxury of working from home, but I also had mm -hmm. the benefit of being able to turn off my computer and respond to something by the next day. And I think the pandemic changed that. I think the right. pandemic made it so that associates are on all the time. I mean, I've heard horror stories from friends who are still in big mm -hmm. law who say, you know, this partner made a comment to me about my Microsoft Teams light. I guess there's a light that shows up. Yeah. If it's green, you're on your computer. If it's like off, then you're not. Or like if it's yellow, you've been idle. He received a comment about that. And, and I think that represents the expectations for associates nowadays. And, you know, I, I think that big firms are, are aware of problems, but their solution is to throw money at it. They raise salaries recently. They, they give out bonuses. When the associates say, that's not what I really want. I, I just want a little bit less work and a little bit more of my personal life, which has been interesting. You, I've actually had, you know, being in legal tech, um, I've actually had people ask me, do you guys have anything to track when people are online? Or when they're actually using the software. <laughs> no, That's we don't, wild. but it's along the lines of what you're saying. So, you know, along with a little more free time, what would you say these big firms can do to to keep the associates engaged, enjoying their, their time with the firms? You know, one of the things that I've started to see um, among social media and the comments is that this idea of um, counting certain things for as a billable hour. So, for example, you know, associates have a certain number of billable hours they have to hit per year right. but when they take vacation or if they use some of these mental health resources at the firm that time is not counted as billable so you're not really right. benefiting so uh, one of the proposals that people have been talking about is well can you count some of that time whether it's vacation or you know using mental health resources as billable and i think there are a couple of big law firms that do actually do that. And I think it's it's gone a long way to build a lot of goodwill. And and I think that at the end of the day, you know, everyone knows that working at a firm is gonna be a lot of work. I think associates just want a little bit less, uh, a little bit, you know, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more freedom. And I think that goodwill goes a long way when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to retention and, and all that good stuff. So what are firms other than that time, what are we missing out on, on retaining talent? And and I'll preface this by saying that, that these problems you're identifying aren't necessarily specific just to big law, right? As a mid-sized yeah. uh, firm administrator, I hear this all the time. My counterparts do at firms of all sizes, right? So it goes beyond associates, but we really are talking about that and how you retain the talent. And it's more than just this work-life balance, right? It's understanding what drives and what motivates you. There's a lot that I think working for a firm entails that is a bit different than working for a company or a, you know, a corporation. It just seems like um, when it comes to firms, there's a lot more demands on your time, which means that I think, for example, flexibility is going to be super important. So one of the changes that I've noticed also is that a lot of corporate legal departments and, and companies are have shifted to remote work, but for one reason or another, a lot of law firms are pretty adamant on yeah. having everyone in the office. And that's something that is very controversial among the associates and paralegals that I, I talk to on on social media. I don't, you know, I don't really fully understand why, since uh, I'm sure there are very good reasons why, you know, firms feel that way. But, you know, um, it's something that people talk about all the time. It's because this is where our paper is. <laughs> Man, is that the real reason why? Is, have you heard any other reasons? This is where our paper is. Oh, wow. um, the multifunction devices that print more paper and files. I mm -hmm. think there's 
you're working with all of one generation or one or two generations, right? When I've got higher Gen Xers and when I have boomers and in the office, they are used to this one-on-one people. And we've said before, I, I gave this spiel about my daughter who's 11 and she only takes phone calls on video, right? Anytime she calls somebody, it's always on FaceTime. She doesn't just pick up the phone and call because she is used to a world where you interact the way we are right now on video camera and not person to person as much anymore. But I think there is just a real struggle with some of these people to not be able to walk up and hand changes to a legal assistant that have been handwritten on something. So you're printing the document and Alex, I know you have a specific passion for this, given what you do with contracts. And I want to get into that in a minute, but they take their handwritten notes and they Mm -hmm. hand it to them or Rob, this is going to hit home for you. The pre-bills that are printed and then marked through and have to be handed back to be typed in. And so a lot of it is paper. There is still a thought that culture comes from water cooler talk and culture comes from talk in the hallways. I think there's that as well. And, and the accessibility, the, my legal assistant is sitting right here and I know she's here and I know what she's doing. And Mm -hmm. it's not that I don't trust them to work remotely. And trust me, I love it. Two or three days a week or two days a week when I'm able to do it, I definitely feel more productive. But there is still just some of that generational thing. And I I think we'll age out of that a little bit. And I will tell you, we are so much further today than I was two years ago. I mean, two years ago, we didn't even have the technology to work remotely. And the concept of a paralegal never having to come into the office was foreign. Today, I have paralegals who I have not seen in two years inside of the office. We are moving. But as we know, what is it about law firms? We are slow to mm-hmm. adapt. I'll tell you, when I, two years ago, right before the pandemic hit, I, I was at a tech startup. And you, you, you may be surprised to hear this, uh, Amanda, maybe not so much Rob, but some of these start, startups, they do want you to be there in person mm-hmm. also. That's what I was going to say. I mean, I have on my team, I probably have around 40 people right now. And it's not that control. It's, it's being able to get answers when you need them. I mean, when people are at home, there's distractions. You know, people look at their workday a little differently. Alex, you brought up, you're pretty much on all the time, which means take, people take breaks throughout the day, right? Mm-hmm. So you're having to pick up the phone, you're having to call them, you're getting somebody in their car, you're getting somebody with their kids. It's different when you have somebody, you know, working a nine to five in the office, but it's the way the world's going. We all have it to is. adapt. It is. The funny part is like, I remember at that moment thinking, you know, I was, I have a wife who works a pretty demanding job. And I remember thinking, all right, 2020, this is the year I'm going to ask work to have one day I can work remotely. <laughs> one day. I don't know so how to go. this is your fault. Got it. Check. Please make yeah. note. <laughs> Alex is single-handedly responsible. <laughs> I want to transition a little bit more to talking about the barriers to entry that associates are feeling when they come out of law school. And you mentioned this crazy idea that when I heard it, I almost drove my car off the road about the bar exam. Tell me your thoughts about that. You know, I I think that the bar exam is well-intended, but for one reason or another over the years, it's become a huge bureaucracy where it's now become a barrier to entry to the profession. And maybe I shouldn't say that it's super well-intended in its roots because I know it has some racist 
uh, history where uh, they were trying to block out certain people from joining the profession. But I do think that there's something to be said that, you know, a lot, the profession wants to make sure everyone is, is competent and, you know, everyone's got the right skills to succeed in law before, you know, allowing them to be officially titled an attorney. But what's ended up happening is a whole battery of tests that have nothing to do with practice. You know, it's right. supposed to be measuring competence, but then they ask questions that, that no one ever um, <laughs> comes across, you know, no one ever really deals with. And it requires you to memorize things, which as we all know, you know, in the law, you just look it up. You don't memorize things. So I think that the bar exam has, has really, you know, really needs to change. And then, you know, you come across occasionally funny stories like Virginia, where, you know, during the pandemic, they require everyone to show up in person for a bar exam. And, and you've got to wear, I think a certain, there's like a clothing requirement, like you've got to wear a suit <laughs> if you're a man or something. And it's just, and a tie, it's just so out of touch. So so I think that there is kind of the, the pandemic accelerated reforms to the bar, although the bar, you know, I don't think it's changed all that much in these last two years. I try to be a little bit less vocal about it these days, just because I feel like, you know, I have very strong personal feelings, but I'm trying to be a, a cognizant of what other people feel, because there are a lot of well-intentioned people who who support the bar exam system as it stands today. And, you know, um, I, I think that the pandemic, like working remotely and working in person, I think that the pandemic has changed how how people think about the bar exam too. Right. Well, I've always thought that, you know, I'm a really great test taker and I'm very fortunate in that. And I have like, I took I took the CPA exam and it's very mm -hmm. similar, right? It's very memorization driven. I always joke that in my case, CPA stands for can't pass again because I'm just really good at memorizing. <laughs> but I think about people with different learning abilities and their not being able to memorize data. And does that make them any less qualified to be a mm -hmm. lawyer? I don't, I don't think so. And so I've struggled with that. The industry has struggled with that. Smaller and mid-sized firms, we are able to adapt quicker. And, and somebody who failed the bar exam on the first try is not automatically a pariah, is not automatically unhirable. <laughs> I think the broader theme though, uh, that, that we're talking through now is like, there's ways that things have always been done. And mm -hmm. there are good reasons to keep some of them. Um, but there's also some of them, some of these rules that are very silly. And I don't know how it happened, but I unwittingly, you know, try to make people laugh on social media and accidentally gathered groups of like-minded people who want to reform the profession. And I think that it makes sense because if you're, you know, forward thinking, you're probably likely in technology or on social media and, and you find that, you know, um, you're, you're, you're meeting new people. Like I think the commenters, especially, I keep on talking about the commenters because I think that is the most fascinating part of my social media journey. The community that gets created around my initial piece of content. Um, people are meeting one another and realizing that our, their stories, uh, which they felt, I think alone and, and felt like they had a very unique challenge with the legal profession. They're finding that it's very common. And so I think that's going to help reform. I think that the pandemic accidentally may have prompted these communities online to sprout up of like-minded people to drive reform. That's kind of my, what I think is happening, but, but I, like I don't know. It. I, I don't know. <laughs> so Alex, speaking of your comments and your threads, um, yeah. something I've gone back and forth with you about uh, in the past is people leaving, working within a law firm and transitioning to, to another career path, teaching mm -hmm. into banking in-house or even legal tech. What was that moment for you that you decided, hey, I'm going to leave the law firm and I'm going to transition into legal tech? 
Um, there were two moments. And one moment was like when I realized I had to step off the traditional path. And then the second moment mm-hmm. was like, I'm leaving the law. The first moment was when I was in big law and um, I was on a matter where I was working with a 15 year experienced partner who I thought would be handling something pretty major, but we jumped on the call and the client started interrogating him on the file format, the Excel format of a privilege log. Now, this wasn't like anything related to legal. It was kind of like, hey, how come the font size is this? Or how come the (laughs) columns are like that? And it struck me, I was like, this guy, he'd been a federal clerk. He'd worked at, at the big firm for his entire career, became partner, handled some pretty major cases, but that was the nature of his work. And I thought, wow, I don't want to do that. I don't think that 15 <laughs> years out, I would consider that myself to be successful. Now, some people might view that as like, you know, that's just, you know, kind of lawyering. And that's why we, um, you know, that the firm just need to get that work done. But I was like, that's not for me. And so I left the firm to try, you know, I went to a smaller firm mm-hmm. um, that used a lot of technology and that kind of opened my eyes to legal tech. Um, after that, I went and, and I started my own practice and um, that was a challenge and I had to close that down. So, so, you know, right at the end of this part of my journey, I was like, all right, I've tried working at a big firm, smaller firm, uh, solo practice. I think I like putting myself out there and work with people. And I, I like sales and marketing. I'm living in the Bay Area in, this is in 2016. What around me could, could, I, could I fit into? And I've written on this and, and I don't know if uh, this is the right time to plug my newsletter. I Go have a substack, a newsletter called Off the Record. Okay. And I've been trying to write more about this. I've written about it a little bit on LinkedIn, but I'm trying to write long form articles because this was the moment when I decided to go into legal tech. And I'm not going to tell you, it wasn't a, a strategic decision. I guess <laughs> in some ways it was, it was kind of like me kind of going from failure to failure, setback to setback and thinking, all right, I want to leverage my experience in legal. I think I like working with people. I see tech booming. I'm going to go into legal tech, leverage my background, do sales and see where this goes. And who knows, right. maybe something good will happen. That was my whole thinking. It's as good a reason to make a decision as any, I assure you. <laughs> and, and it's it's a good path because a lot of people who come c- do that same path, right? They decide it's not, this is not for me. And there are a lot of things. And I think it's a good message for lawyers in general who we go to law school. I didn't go to law school, but they go to law school with these big, shiny dreams. I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get the corner office. I'm going to make a ton of money. And I have spent time talking to clerks and saying, like, I, I just need you to know that that might be the path that you expect when you go into law school, but that's not the path. Like if you look around our firm, the number of associates that become partners, because that's what they enjoy doing mm-hmm. is not everybody, right? It's not everybody mm-hmm. coming out of law school. And so I, I love to hear that people are experienced that have experienced that and then have experienced success in doing that and are happier. It's, it's the time and money too, right? It's all the money you're putting into it. You're dumping into it, uh, going to law school. And yeah. It feels like, hey, if if I don't go this, if I don't stick to this path, then I'm not successful. Yeah, and you know, I think it's it is a sunk cost fallacy. And I think one of the great things about the rise of social media, like LinkedIn, is that you start hearing stories from other people. Again, going back to the comments, people are sharing their own stories, and I start to realize my own story is not unique. And right. what I've been trying to do with my newsletter is, you know, I've highlighted a couple of lawyers who have, you know, when you look at them today, you think, oh, they, they had a pretty linear path to success. But, you know, whether or not they still remain in practice or not, like when you look at their career path, they all go through this very strange moment where, you know, they encounter failures, setbacks, they're not sure what to do. 
and only looking backwards uh, does it look all like a like a clean linear path. But when they're going through it, um, it, it's very confusing and it doesn't feel like you're doing the right thing. So I think that um, I'd like to amplify those stories and talk more about those stories, which is why like I write about it on LinkedIn. I, I write a newsletter about it because I, it's not just me. It's a lot of very successful people who 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 you know who did not have a linear path to success. Can I print your newsletter so and read it? <laughs> You're very welcome to. You're welcome to. Absolutely. And then pass it around to, to, to all the partners at the firm. With a little check mark. I have yeah. read this check. I mean, we used to do that with bar journals that are really expensive. Like you have a little sticky note and everybody who reads it checks that they've read it and then it gets passed down <laughs> to the next person because yeah. nobody can afford those expenses. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah. So now I'm the, you know, I was in sales. I started off my legal tech career in, in sales, did that for five years. And one of the reasons why I started posting content, and, you know, I, I mentioned that I've been on TikTok for about a little over a year, but I've been posting content on LinkedIn for, for now almost six years. Uh, I started off because I was told that if you write good stuff on LinkedIn, it could help you with your sales. That journey led me to write about my career path and became this whole other thing. And I think what happened was during the pandemic, a community formed around my, my LinkedIn and I started spreading that to other social media platforms, but, um, I just really enjoyed this community element of just meeting people, talking to people. And, and honestly, it had a business development benefit for, for my job. And so it wasn't long until uh, Ironclad reached out to me and said, we're thinking of standing up a new function called community. Would you like to, to help build it? And so that's what my job is today. My job is to engage with the community. And that includes things like comments on social media, but it also includes things like speaking at law schools, talking to others in the entire ecosystem, like in the legal industry, it's a huge ecosystem. It's not just corporate legal, which is who Ironclad focuses on. There's law firms, there's law schools, there's alternative legal service providers. And so what I do now is I just engage with the community. And I think that Ironclad realizes if we start creating valuable connections and, and helping people in the community, there's going to be a business development um, benefit to the company. So, so that's what I do today. And I can talk through like my day to day, but really at a high level, that's what I do. When you're building community, people buy from people, they don't buy from brands. And so that's if right. you guys are able to build that community, I mean, that's, that's just a great way to do it. And no, I think that that's absolutely right. Because at the end of the day, it's also not just about me when I put out content. I put out content and, you know, whether it's about paralegals, getting disrespected or some terrible part of working at a big firm, um, I think it brings people together and they're going to remember like where it was hosted. So, you know, we'll host events where Ironclad doesn't push out an advertising message. We just say, we're Ironclad. We're trying to give back to the community. Here's a forum for you all to talk about certain things that you want to talk about. And in doing so, that has a huge brand effect for the company. And, and it comes back in the form of uh, long-term goodwill and, and, you know, business. You know, people ask me like, why don't you pitch Ironclad more in your content? And I'm like, that just defeats the whole purpose. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just I think you, you both understand this because, you know, this this podcast, you know, we, we don't we don't talk about center based directly, but it's the same right. principle. It's exact same principle there. This is their way of contributing positively to the yes. growth of the community. And that in in turn gets your name out there. But right. We don't I mean, great company, but that's not what the point of this is. You know, we don't work directly with law firms very often. It's really corporate legal departments. So the workflow is more related to, to what they're doing. And very often, the legal department at a corporate at, at a corporation is always reviewing, creating contracts. So we've created a something called digital contracting, where you have a single place where you can create contracts, get them approved, um, get them out, and keep track of them. 
All okay. that is done manually today. Like people right. will pull a contract from somebody's desktop from, you know, three years ago and, you know, maybe make some manual changes. And then, and then you know, the negotiation process takes place over email. Uh-huh. So Ironclad just unifies all of that and makes sure that um, that which helps you accelerate the speed of which you can contract, which is a big problem. You know, legal departments are viewed as as bottlenecks inside of a company um, for these <laughs> contracts. And I think law firms are, you know, it's a little bit different because you're probably more likely working on very complicated uh, types of agreements or or maybe it's M&A due diligence. So the workflow is a little bit different. But, but what Ironclad is focused on is just speeding up um, the contract generation and approval process and keeping track of all, all of them. You talk a little bit about the conflict between legal and sales, and I think it's hilarious. Ding, ding, because... ding. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Especially selling so, to law firms, too. Especially right? selling for law firms, because every time I get a contract, I pull out my pencil. Actually, I pull out a red pen, and I uh-huh. just scratch things. No auto-escalation clause. Check. Like, no yeah. auto-renew clause. Ex- you know, and then, and then depending on the size of the company or the corporation – the salesperson will come back and say, oh, you know, legal says we can't change that. Or sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, we'll just make that change. And then they realize that, no, legal had a real problem with you making that change. I never expected to create content about that conflict. Um, (laughs) But I will say that it's something I heard a lot about from my product demos. If you're in contract management and you talk to legal, they're going to talk about how challenging it is to work with the business or sales um, because they always want you to approve contracts quickly, but they give it to you at the last minute. So I made a video about that once, one of my first few videos, and it took off. So I started to do it more and more. And I started, again, reading the comments, listening to what people were saying. And and I think that, you know, jokes aside, I think it's hard because you have a sales team that's focused on being judged by a number, like how much revenue have you closed? And that becomes so important. That's so important for a business. Yet on the other side, you have a legal department that's often understaffed, you know, not really treated with respect internally and kind of expected to, to, to review the risks of a contract while feeling this pressure to approve it. So, so there's this natural tension that happens. And, you know, we at Ironclad, like, I feel like we're trying to make, um, make sure that whatever tension there is, we're trying to minimize it because we can let, you know, our tool lets business teams forecast and see, oh, which contracts are in what stage of redlining. So it helps the sales team, but at the same time, it helps legal manage their queue of contracts. So, so you can see it's, it's related to what Ironclad does, but it's also relevant to my social media because like they, they like these videos. They're funny because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of silly things that happen during contract negotiations. My favorite's at the end of the year when you're trying to hit your number and your attorney's on the beach, <laughs> right? That's my, that's the best. Oh, I'm going to be working. I'm going to be working. You know, I, I can't, I'm not that kind of person that can just lay out there on the beach all day you know, I'm going to be working, then you're actually trying to get something done and they're nowhere to be found. (laughs) (laughs) Rob, you're giving me ideas for videos now. I'm like, yes, mentally mentally remembering me. Rob and I could give you a ton of ideas for sure. Um, (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) We have a lot of things just listening to our calls where we complain about things that you could get a lot. Yeah. Do you have any fear when you put that out there sometimes? I don't. And I'll tell you why. It's because I think over the years you develop this judge or I've developed this judgment to understand what audience um, is okay with what types of content. And I try to push the, you know, the, the line a little bit. And I'll tell you when I was, when I had a much smaller following, I, I, I would cross that line repeatedly because I always thought, you know, Hey, look, it's better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. 
part of the reason why content resonates is because it's it's not like corporate content. It's not corporate right. communications, very bland. Um, when, I, my, when I first started posting on LinkedIn, I did get in trouble with my first legal tech company. Uh, I got pulled into a room and um, they said, you know, why would you post this content? Because it was, it was some joke about like, I think, making fun of big law partners or something. I forget what uh, exactly. But I was pulled aside and, and was told to kind of like, hey, relax. And, you know, it happened. I had this con- these conversations a few different times. And so there have been times during my experience where I took long breaks, like months long breaks from posting because I felt like I had crossed the line. And, you know, early on, I thought I was going to be a salesperson. I thought I, w- I would have, you know, Rob's, uh, Rob's job someday. In like a CRO type of position, you have to like, it's, it's a different role than, than a, like a more creative position that I have now. So over the years, I've come to realize like, you know, sometimes you can get a, get a lot of views by, you know, kind of shaking the controversy tree, but it doesn't always serve your, your purposes. And so I've, I've kind of over time developed this judgment to understand where you can cross the line. And I'm still experimenting with it. More, more recently, a few months ago, I wasn't sure if, if posting a TikTok with the F word in it on LinkedIn would get me in trouble. Like that was something right. I was not sure about. Um, and I remember posting on Twitter, think, telling everyone, hey, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing on LinkedIn. Wish me luck. <laughs> and I put it up and it did well. And I think yeah. so my understanding now is my judgment is that you can use the F word if it's appropriate in the situation. I think, you know, people in the legal industry, lawyers and, and, and paralegals and anybody who's worked in a law firm, you know, I think they appreciate that. But I think it's hard because you got to develop judgment over time. You can't make jokes about everything. You can make jokes about some things, but you can't make jokes about everything. And so I feel like for me, I make jokes about the practice in general, I don't make jokes about the substance or I try to stay away from like, for example, making jokes about criminal law. I feel like that's a very serious topic that, that might not lend itself to, to, um, you know, know, really funny jokes, especially some of these serious cases. So, so I think it's judgment you develop over time. And then when you have the confidence to understand like, Hey, I know what I can get away with. um, It helps you generate more, more, more content. It's interesting too that you you're you make a good point in that you develop your content based on the platform it's going on. So what you go what you put on TikTok is completely different than what you put most of the time on right. LinkedIn. And I think law firms, especially some of the smaller ones, struggle with that because we create one round of content and then that goes onto in our Hootsuite account and then it pushes to Twitter and it pushes to LinkedIn and it pushes to right. Instagram and it's the same content over and over again. And that's a lesson I think some of us can learn from successful digital marketers like you, you did a presentation to the Legal Marketing Association recently on using TikTok for law firms. And I laughed a thousand laughs. And so (laughs) convince me that there is some use in TikTok for law firms. What what practice area is this firm in and how big is it? Okay. So a firm that has multiple practice areas, right? So let's get rid of corporate. Let's get rid of family. Now let's get rid of criminal. So you Mm -hmm. might have some real estate. You might have like litigation. Are you saying that the, the would be specific to the practice area or the size or? All of that. So let me give, so just from what you've told me, I'll just throw out some ideas. Okay. First for a larger firm, I think the real value is in recruiting and retention. I think so putting out content, that, that where your primary audience are people who might work at your firm or are thinking of, of staying or leaving. I think there's a whole universe of content on TikTok uh, that's, that's really applicable, like, making, oh, okay. like what I do, right? Um, although you don't have to roast anyone. You can just kind of like put out positive stories. You don't have to be funny about it. You can, you, you can do things to make associates feel good because in that demographic, if we're talking about like the 20-something-year-old, maybe early 30s person, that person is most likely on, on TikTok okay. um, already. Like that's one example. 
from a client development perspective, if you're talking about real estate as a practice area, you should not be making law related jokes if you're trying to do business development with real estate people. You should look at the profile of a real estate, an ideal client in real estate and think, what do they get frustrated by? Do they, okay. if these are developers, do they get frustrated by how silly the permitting process, the licensing process yeah, that the government okay. is? So you create videos parodying that situation that'll get you in front of them. So I think that what law firms do is they, a lot of law firms put out like, here is substantive law. You know, just like legal tech companies often put out, here's why tech is good. You'll notice I rarely put out content related to why tech is good. I put out content like, what is the frustration of a corporate legal department when dealing with sales? And I hammer that on TikTok. Right. So, so that what happens is then the conversation becomes, what, what the hell does Alex do? Like, where does he work? So you <laughs> see how the, the pattern works. But right. I think a lot of firms, you know, are used to do putting out like, here's the law. And so that's why I think their marketing is, is a little bit less effective. I've just never thought about it like that. I know that's what you do for a living, but I just want you to know I'm very impressed by that answer. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> it was you. a Thank very you. good lawyer answer. <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this because, you know, as we try, try to change personas too, like, you know, we want to, for example, if Ironclad is focused in on legal and they want to focus on sales as a different persona, as a target audience, the jokes in the, in, in the commentary are going to be different. And, and it goes back to the broader theme of like, I think when you're talking about marketing, you want to go where the people you want to get in front of, like you got to go where they are. And a lot of them are on tic- increasingly on TikTok. They're also on LinkedIn. They're increasingly less on places like Facebook. And mm-hmm. this is just kind of the reality of our world. You mentioned, uh, Amanda, earlier about that, that talk that I did on legal marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they did a poll. And I think there were 50 people there or something. What platform do you use? And I think 99% of them said Facebook. And 1% said TikTok. And yet, if you are trying to talk to your associates, if you're trying to reach, you know, beyond the the walls of your firm, um, I think you've got to be a little bit more flexible in, in where you go. I think it's a huge opportunity, marketing within a law firm. The bar set very low, Amanda. And if you jump in and you do something good, <laughs> you can really make a big impact. A hundred percent. I also think that a lot of firms do focus on the, like Alex was saying, the the technical, right? But I like the concept of you want to drive your business to the firm and what are you doing to make your firm stand out as unique? And then you go to that. So, But Alex, you don't have a background in marketing or sales? This is all self-taught? Well, I... I... I worked in sales and I think that often there is um, the knock on marketing often is that it does, it's not always tied to sales. There's like the sales and marketing alignment. I think I was lucky in that I was a salesperson who worked at a company that didn't have marketing. And so I had to figure out this, this gets into the weeds a bit, but in the early part of the sales cycle, before you start pitching, you need to increase awareness. How do you target the right, the, the right audience? Like I was given a quota at one, you know, in my previous job with no real way to hit it and not enough resources to get that pipeline. So I was like, I need to do something to generate my own pipeline. Um, and I realized a couple of things like on my content, I had to be very deliberate and consistent with my messaging to a specific audience, corporate legal departments. And it takes a long time to build, but once you've built it, it took me a few years, but once it, once, once it started working, it started feeding me leads and feeding other sales reps at my company leads. And so that's how I knew it worked. And so that was my education in marketing. It wasn't from reading a book or taking a course. It was like, okay, well, if this thing that I'm doing doesn't work, it's not going to lead to sales. I'm going to get fired. So um, (laughs) I better adjust. 
So that was my education in marketing. That's awesome. So um, we're getting close to the end. I want to ask you a question that kind of wraps back into what we were talking about earlier. What advice would you give lawyers who are thinking about leaving private practice to go do something else? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question. And I think there's a couple of pieces of advice I would give, but at first I would say, you don't have to copy my exact path, which I think a lot of people <laughs> who, who reach out to me try to think. They, they think, oh, maybe I should uh, go into legal tech or maybe I should leave the practice of law. And I don't think that's the case. I think if you're not happy at what you're doing, you should also consider you know, changing employers, maybe staying within the practice of law. But but at the end of the day, I think it's much better to to do something that's aligned with your strengths and trying to instead of trying to fix your weaknesses. So if you have hunches about what you're good at, like lean into them, do them on the side at, at night and on weekends, uh, get good at it and, and develop an idea of what you think you might want to do. And then once you've figured that out, just make the jump. And it's okay to make mistakes. You know, my my reading of all the comments from LinkedIn, let me know that there's a lot of ways to be successful and most of them you haven't heard about. So, so I think taking a risk sometimes and, and trying something different that's aligned with your strengths, you know, that's what I'm hoping people will take away from this. Wow. I, I think too, just starting to talk to people, you know, if you, if you do want to make that change, starting to talk to people, not mm-hmm. everybody, like you said, is going to do it on social media. As, yeah. as a final question, as you, as you were deciding to leave, I mean, being an attorney, how did you begin to network outside of the traditional law firm profession? You know, there's a, you know, there's a few different ways to do it. For me, you know, I, I was going through a situation where I just needed to to get in front of people um, mm-hmm. immediately because I needed a job. So I would just cold outreach to people. I would, I would just hit people up, um, ask them to meet, um, and just ask them questions. I think that's probably the best way. Um, there are certainly trade groups and organizations, but you've got to wait till they have meetings. And these days with the pandemic, it's kind of hard. But you'd be surprised at how many people are open to to taking you up on a on a on a virtual coffee to talk about their career. So so I would recommend that. Cold outreach got you on our podcast, so I feel like there is some success in that from the non salesperson. There, there is from the non salesperson. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, marketing exactly. And Amanda, your email, your your note was uh was so well crafted. Uh, it you. immediately got my attention. <laughs> The last segment that we do is called Pitch Your Passion. And we give you some time to just tell us, tell our audience, what is it that you're passionate about? Whether it's a whether it's a company you work for, you talked a little bit about your newsletter, but feel free to pitch that a little yeah. bit more. So go for it. The passion I'd like to pitch is my newsletter, um, okay. off the record. And I wrote it because I feel like on social media, I have not enough time and not enough space to really dive into some of these stories. And, and so the stories I'm, I, I'd like to share are stories from very accomplished and successful people, so, you know, many of whom are lawyers, who went through some challenges or took the path less traveled. I weave in my own story because I think I think there's a lot that happened that, that led me to make my pivot. And I, I think I got very lucky in, in getting the job I have today. But But I think people don't realize what it was like as I was going through it. So I think that to me is like what I'm most excited about. Uh, these days. And and the story includes a lot of different people and a lot of different um, friends that I've made along the way. Like, you know, I think I'm going to be writing about Ironclad more and more because our our CEO, uh, Jason Damig, he was a practicing lawyer. He was an associate at a big firm and he found a different path. And this is in 20, I think 13 or 14, you know, legal tech wasn't a thing. 
it seemed crazy. And he just created this company that's today, you know, one of the most dominant uh, contract technology companies out there. In those early days, he received a lot of hate. People were saying this is a bad idea. You know, it was tough. And so for me, this goes beyond kind of marketing. This is like, I think that people need to hear the stories that, hey, if you're going through a setback, lots of successful people did too. You know, just keep your head up and just do trust your instincts and you'll get to where you need to be. Maybe not when you expect, but you'll get there. And so that's why I've created this newsletter. It's not huge and it's it's very rambling, but, but it's something <laughs> I'm very excited. Where, I work, they, I, I work it's, Where do people sign up it. for it? Yeah, how do we get it? Yeah, you can you can if if you go to um, my LinkedIn, there's a there's a link to it. Uh, it's also it's linked on all my social media accounts, but it's uh, it's called it's off the record. So it's off the record dot substack dot com. I should probably buy a domain for it, but right now yeah, I'm just you should. Trying, so, <laughs> I should right. But I'm still trying to experiment with it. You know, I I I don't write regularly. It's it's actually very tiring for me to write, which is probably why. I'm not practicing law anymore. I was going to say, <laughs> I didn't want to insult you, but I was like, yeah, if you're not, if you don't like to write, you're in the wrong, that would be the wrong profession. So uh, will you pitch all your social handles for us real quick? Sure. Find me on LinkedIn, Alex Sue. And then on Twitter, I'm Hey, it's Alex Sue. On Instagram, I'm Hey, it's Alex Sue. And on, on, uh, on TikTok, I'm Legal Tech Bro. I need to <laughs> nice. figure out a way to like unify these brands. Yes. Yeah, so I, I made that the handle like, TikTok was never supposed to be a thing, Amanda. Like, I still can't believe I'm, I'm talking about it. That's like your AIM screen name back in the day. Like whatever it was. Like, yeah, it's like, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's like no, you're stuck awesome. with it forever. You're stuck with it forever. Alex, it's okay. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. We really, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Most Illegal Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on MostlyLegalPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list, get weekly recaps, or even get your very own Mostly Legal swag. Mm -hmm.